You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. One of the things that stops people from uh, appreciating the Talmud is, you know, you spend 25 minutes, a half hour, you know, even in the Yeshiva world, maybe even three hours, which is the normal, what they call a morning Seder, like a three hours preparing. And you walk away from the table saying, I'm not sure exactly where we got. And that has to be, uh, you know, we live in a society where we expect results immediately. And uh, if we don't get them, we feel frustrated. And, and I think we, I think you have to look at this. And again, I, maybe I'm, I'm being a little bit um, presumptuous and, and then, you know, a hammer likes to hit a nail. I'm a hammer. I like hitting a nail. In the scientific world, let's say even what we're talking about, trying to come up with a cure, uh, coming up with a, uh, a vaccine. Uh, yeah, there's cul-de-sacs, but, but we, but we felt that we put some effort in. And I think that's the, the you have to have that attitude when you, when you're studying a page of the Talmud as well. Um, you're, you're further a, a, along than you were. Does that mean that you might have to, uh, make a, a, a 180 and start from a different place? Yeah, it does mean that. Uh, that's why, you know, people talk about the we make that broch every morning. We involve ourselves. We don't necessarily, the morale says, we might not get it. We might not actually learn it and understand it and say, oh, this is exactly what it means. But we definitely were involved in it. And God really wants us to do it. And, and I think I, I think the struggle is really uh, helpful. Oh, here's Baji. The, the, the struggle, I think, is, is really helpful. Um it, it, it makes you invested. So again, I, I, I hate trying. You know, I, you know, I, I'm not trying to uh, over uh, be over overly defensive about things, but but I do think it's important since this is all about getting proficiency in Talmud, being being uh, familiar and and actually swimming in it. That's part of the thing you have to realize. Okay, introduction over. Now let's get back to what it was. What was the issue? The issue was. We had this tangential uh, statement about Adar, something about protecting your investments with Adar, okay? Like a commercial for Adar almost. What the heck was this a commercial for, okay? The clues from yesterday were, hmm, it will help with your, uh, sounds like with your property. Uh, the the term that was used, as Henoch said yesterday, was a... Um, the term that was used was a planting term, as if what we were talking about was some sort of tree or something that was being planted. Uh, and also, we saw that it, it prevents stealing. It prevents uh, gzela and hamas. We talked about what those terms were yesterday. So what are we talking about? Okay, so Rashi, is, Rashi was basically armed with the same things we had, which is the words of the Talmud itself, the clues that I just presented on the table. Rashi had an advantage we didn't have, which is Rashi had teachers. But Rashi is not, Rashi didn't, uh, uh, just as I mentioned yesterday, and I think part of what I try to do here is, is, is to give you who's who. We talk about Rashi almost every day. Every single day we get a little bit more about Rashi. Uh, and there's a reason why he is who he is. <laughs> there's a reason why, uh, you, know, uh, you know, when Shai Agnon was given the Nobel Prize, and he was asked by the reporters, who are your uh, literary influences? And he said, Rashi. 
right? Rashi was his literary influence. So that's important to know more and more about him. He had teachers, and he had teachers who were doing the same job he did. He had teachers who actually wrote, not wrote, but gave over running commentaries on the Talmud. And he took from them and rejected. He took some and he rejected. Who they were, he talks about who they were. Reb Levi and Reb Yitzchok, these were some of the teachers that he had. In this piece of Rashi we're going to study today, we're going to see Rashi is going to quote his teachers and reject them. Okay, so here we go. All right, so first of all, what does it mean that your possessions are going to, your, your, your uh, possessions are going to uh, be stable if you have an Adar? So let's see. So Rashi says, it's, uh, I, I put it up here, three, four, five, six, seven lines from the bottom at the end of the line. Shelo yehei adam chomsan, as we see later. Somehow having the Adar means people will not be able to railroad you into it. Remember we talked about what Hamas meant, is when they actually throw money into your hands and push you off and make it all legal shmegal. But really, they basically uh, strong-armed you and extorted you out of the property. Or gozel. <laughs> or they actually just kick you off and they'll give you a cent. This will allow it to happen. The gozel sadot mimenu. Okay. So what do you do? Plant adar. So Rashi first quotes, uh, and we're going to see later, this was what, like Henry thought yesterday, what Hanukkah thought yesterday, what Rashi heard from his teachers. Ilan chashuvu. Adar must be some sort of special tree. Okay. It's a chashuvu. It's a tree that people, the word chashuv, by the way, you hear about this, a chashavarov, the chashavatalmat chacham. Chashuv comes from the shorish of the word chashav which is to think about someone that's on everybody's mind, hopefully in a positive way. Uh, chashuv comes from thoughts. People are thinking, and hey, what does he have to say about this? Ilan chashuv would mean the tree is prominent. It's a prominent tree that people are always saying, oh, that tree, yeah, that's in their people's minds. Okay, what does it mean it's prominent? Well, yesh lo shame limarachok. It's unique. And, and you can imagine in your mind, I th- when I first learned this, Rashi, I thought it was some sort of, not only a large tree, but an unusual shape tree. That's what I thought. I'm not sure. But it's the type of thing that people know about. The Omrim. And people say about it because it's unique. And maybe it costs a lot of money. Maybe it's from the Orient. I don't know. People say, Plony. Okay, we know what Plony is. Plony, of course, is um, a term for this guy, right? Plony is... Is for the term uh, like like so and so, right? Plony. All right, let's give the guy a name. Uh, well, we'll call him, you know, Donald J. <laughs> All right, Plony, Donald J. Yeshlo Adar Bisadehu. Oh yeah, look what he has. Nobody has that. Donald got the uh, you know this uh, this credible ublek tree, right? J- Donald got this uh, ublek tree. That's a little bit of. Dr. Seuss, Lorax, Bartholomew Cubbins together, okay? So Donald has an ublek tree. Wow, an Adar tree. Umitoch kach hinikraas al shemo. Aha. When you do something unusual uh, uh, in your field, which everybody notices, and nobody has an ublek tree except Donald J, so that's, Donald, that's a way to ensure it's Donald J's field. Fields all look the same. 
normally, right, in those days. They all got wheat. They all got whatever crop is growing in that area. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, okay, if, okay, if you're giving people directions. Yeah, you're going to notice the old oobleck tree. That's Make the left turn over there. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, and the oobleck tree is by Donald J's property. So in other words, putting something unusual that people ooh and ah about allows it to be known as your field practically by putting something by by making something unusual it actually equates because it's unusual the ublick or adartry it now becomes donald's field in everyone's mind okay what's good about that here's the following if donald j decides he's going off to who knows the the black sea in near odessa uh, to open up some hotels over there. Who knows why he's going? But he's going with Medina Sayyam. And what happens? Takes a long time in those days. Now, again, I say Odessa, but really the black, the uh, Medina Sayyam is a term, and I would underline it. It's a term that shows up often in the rabbi, in, in Talmud. Medina Sayyam. In fact, even to the point that there's a famous acronym for it. Mem, Dalit, Hey, Yud. Medina Sayyam, with a streichel in between the Hey and the Yud. So Medina Sayam is another way of saying, not Yehupitzville, but Yehupitzville or means like, you know, oh, it's somewhere, nobody even knows where it is. Medina Sayam is where everybody went. Anybody who was in business in Israel went on the Mediterranean Sea. That's what it meant. Medina Sayam meant city-states on the Mediterranean Sea. It might have been Tripoli, might have been all the way to like wherever it is, in, in Libya, and like all those places, those were called the Medina Sayam. And the reason you went to Medina Sayam was to make money. Either you, there was stuff that was growing in Israel that was worth money to be sold someplace else, or you were going to go to Medina Sayam to bring stuff back. So it was a constant uh, reality. Where is the guy? He's in Medina Sayam. And because it was ships, and because it was like an ocean, the Mediterranean Ocean, there were pirates, there were difficulties. Sometimes people didn't come back from Medina Sayyam. And their trips did not last according to the itinerary. Yeah, I let her in. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I admitted her. Um, see what's going on. I, uh, I keep, it says she's waiting, and I'm, I keep on admitting her. Not sure. So I don't know. Can't tell you. Yeah, I'm. I'm look, I wish I was better at this. Uh, I wish I was better at the technology, but I, you know, got everybody else in here. I'm not sure. Okay. All right. That's probably what's happening. Now I lost my Medina Sayam. Okay. <laughs> here we go. Okay. So let's go back. So what is this Medina Sayam? Like I said, Medina Sayam is a place where you never know when you're coming back from. Your itineraries never work the way you think they are. (laughs) You think you're going to be gone for a month, you're gone for a year. And you know what happens? When you're not around, tending your field, what happens is, this was a reality. People would, hey, this guy's not around. I'm going to go and... uh, take this guy's field over. I'll bring my workers in. I'll plant what I want. That happened a lot in the time of, 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 of the Mishnah. People would have their fields and all of a sudden they would, they'd have to leave. They'd come back. 
Somebody else is running the show. And the workers don't know. <laughs> They've been hired. They're not sure who really owns it. Maybe the guy made a sale before he left. So this happened a lot. And there's a whole apparic in the, one of the longest prokim and shas is dedicated to this issue. Um, in, Chesk, in, in Baba Basra, the biggest mesech in shas in terms of amount of pages. And the longest parak in shas the third parak in Baba Basra, it's all about the issues of how to deal with people who might try to take your fields over because when you're away. And then, listen to what I'm going to say now. They establish, look at the words here, that, that's from the word chazak, strong. But it also means that they actually are now staying there for year after year, planting. That's the way you show you're an owner. So basically, let's say Donald J. went off and is gone much longer. took him much longer uh, to set up the hotel than he thought. When he comes back, he discovers uh, Joe, Joe B., is actually now in his field uh, uh, telling the workers what to plant. and He can't believe what's going on. He said, I left. Well... I've been here for the last couple of years. The last couple of planting seasons, I've been here. The Hiksikba. I've been here. Aha. Uh-huh. So what can you do? Well, what you can do is you can say, hmm, you've been here a year. Um, exactly, exactly, Hanach. Uh, a chazaka. That's, he thinks he has a chazaka. And it depends how many years he's been here. But in the, in the, in the mushroom, I'm telling you, he's been here a year. That's what Rashi Hiksikpo, he's there. So now Donald comes back. Joe B is on his field. Yeshlo Edim Harbe Shalo. Donald J can say, hey, everyone knows this was my field. They do? Yeah. Even the people who live way down the road know that's Donald J's field. How do they know it's Donald J's field? Because of the tree. Because of the tree, people knew it was his. Ve'ilu machra, Rashi goes on. If it's true that Donald J, before he got on that boat, sold it to Joe B, people would have heard about that. Now, why did people know about sales? So this again is 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 a it happened again. This is it's interesting. Again, Rashi has wedged all this into this little section, and it's based on what the Talmud talks about. Okay, I hope Debbie can get in now. It's based on what the Talmud speaks about in uh, in, in 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 a number of places that. First of all, you have to remember, um, people did not have so much to do as they do today. <laughs> okay. Today, people have television, they have podcasts to listen to, they have a lot on their brain. In those days, you know, imagine, you know, you know, like, 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 you know, imagine you're in Hooterville and there's not much to do. People hear about, hey, did you hear about? A sale. Somebody sold this guy's property. Now, why would you hear about it? Well, you know why? Because in order for a property sale to work, you got to get a, a, a so fair. 
You need someone to write a document. Oh, yeah, they went to Pixley to go get uh, the SOFAIR to, to, to sign the papers. Oh, yeah, they called in. People hear about the fact that a sale occurred. They're bored. <laughs> and when they hear about a sale happening, they heard, oh, you know, the SOFAIR came from Pixley. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and who'd they get to testify on that? Oh, they got Joe Carson and, 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 and you know, and, and, and Smoot from the train to, to go and testify about that. People hear about the fact that a sale occurred today, and, and, and they are registered. Even today, sales are registered in the paper. But in those days, people heard about sales if a sale occurred. Uh, and, and people heard about it because you needed a SOFAIR, you needed ADIM. Um, and therefore, if a sale did occur, then people would have heard that a sale occurred. They would have heard that Donald J., before he got on the boat, Sold it to Joe B. Liot nikreate al shmo shosheni, and that way, once the sale occurs, that's the guarantee that shows that Joe B owns the field. So again, in the scenario we just said, Donald B comes back, Donald J comes back, Joe B's on the field. Donald J says, "Get out of here," and everybody backs him up because, hey, of course that's Donald J's field. Everybody knows that. So when Donald J goes to the Bezdin, he can kick this guy out easily. And everyone's going to come. And what Rashi said, there's a bunch of witnesses who say, uh, the witnesses come and say, yeah, what's going to happen is, is that let's say the case will come to court. And, 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 you know, uh, let's say the case will come to court and Joe B says, well, I've been there for the last year and I've been planting. Donald J brings his witnesses, right? He brings, you know, Fauci and Bricks to come in, uh, to be his witnesses and, and, and Fauci and Bricks to be his witnesses. And they say, yeah, of course, everyone knows this is Donald J's property. Yeah. Everyone knows this. The whole city knows that it's his property. And the, and the, and the witness and the court says, hmm. You know what? If there would have been a sale before he got on the boat, we would have heard about it. Has anybody ever heard of a sale? No, no one's heard of a sale. And, you know, and, and Joe B says, well, he did sell it to me. Nobody knows about it. Can you produce a document? Oh, no, I've sort of lost the document, but it did. A, no, we can now kick uh, uh, Joe B out. So that is what Rashi Rashi sort of invented this because that's what the Talmud seemed to be saying. And now we know what Adar is. Adar is something that, that, that makes the field uniquely yours and protects you. Okay. Now, um, and, and again, Rashi repeats it over here. Uh, just one of three lines from the bottom. Rashi again says, V'yesh kol Once again, Let's say, let's say uh, he didn't go to Medina Sayyam. It's not that he went and traveled somewhere, but rather J- Donald w- was in town. Joe B comes in with his strong-armed uh, people, right? Joe B comes in with, uh, you know, who knows, with Kamala and Elizabeth and and uh, and, and 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 Pete, and they come in. And they uh, they they push Donald J around and they throw money in his in, in, in his pocket and they and they say yeah here's your star um, so you're going to be able yesh Donald J is going to say hey um, people are going to know 
uh, whether that really happened or not, and he can take you to Besden. All right, fits in perfect. What a great shot. Rashi, and how did Rashi do that? Well, Rashi did that from Talmudic literacy that he had from other places. He had the same clues that I presented to you in the beginning of this year. And then Rashi plugged in what made sense based on his knowledge of another Masechta, Masechta's Pavabasra, and all the halachas that are connected to making chazok on a field. And this is the way he worked it out. The one inventive thing that he did was, he says, the tree is unusual, and therefore it connects it to the owner. That makes logical sense. That's Rashi's job. Now, the, um, the problem that Rashi had with that is coming up in a second. Let me first remind you about the brisa that we mentioned yesterday. Let's take a look at it again. Tanya nami hachi. A brisa also says the same thing. Soda sheyeshpa adar, the soda that has, according, let's say according to the way Rashi had explained it up until now, this unusual ublek tree. Ainun igzelis, it won't get stolen if, if you go to Medina Sayam and he comes back. And if the strong-armed people came and threw money in your thing, you're going to be able to use this to show that you were the owner and a sale didn't occur because otherwise we would have heard about it. And its fruits and what's produce is protected. What does that mean it's protected? That sounds like it actually helps the plants. It helps what's growing. So, um, Rashi, look what Rashi says here. Three lines from the bottom. Perotel mishtamrim lo yodana mahi. Okay, once again, don't be frustrated when Rashi uses Aramaic when he just used Hebrew before. Rashi speaks yeshivish. Rashi speaks the, the, the pigdin language of Aramaic and Hebrew together. Rashi says, Lo yadana mahi. I don't know what this is. Lo yadana. I don't know. I don't know how having the ublet tree helps the helps everything, helps the plants. I don't know. Uh, again, Rashi knew about agriculture, uh, he, although he was a businessman, but he was a, an observer of society. How does the, he says, I don't know what this is. Um, okay. So, on this, Rashi says, and, and that's a weakness in this interpretation. So Rashi first suggests something. Yud Mem in a Rashi. I know there's people out there who know, who've heard this before. Yud Mem, again, the Shreichel telling you it's Rashi Tevos. It's telling you that it's an acronym. Yud Mem means Yesh Meforshim. Some say that, what does that mean? Uh, Henoch said this, I think, also a little bit like this. That the Adar tree, the Ublet tree, whatever we call it, it's, you plant it on your borders, and it has so many, uh, so many branches that so it acts not only is an unusual marking, it also is a natural protection from animals or people who might want to come to steal it. Not the guy, the devious Joe B, but anybody else who happens to be walking on the street can't get through because the, 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 the plethora of branches protect the fruit 
not in an agricultural way, but because it's physically there, it stops people from stealing it. Okay, it's, it's a fence. But Rashi doesn't like that pshat. And the reason he doesn't like it is because, what's the key word? Mishtamer. In Rashi's things, it, sh- it should have said nishmarim. They are, sh- there's a shomer there. It's like someone, like, like someone, I think Henoch said yesterday, like a scarecrow. It's better than a scarecrow. It's keeping things out physically. What's mishtamrim mean? So Rashi felt that sounds like it's something internally in the fruit itself. So therefore Rashi is going to suggest something totally different than what he said up, up until now. Um, at least it's not a tree. Look what Rashi is going to say now. Vali <laughs> nira. Very important phrase. That tells me up until now, he was parroting what he had heard before. Up until now, Rashi was not original. Rashi was taking from his teachers, synthesizing a bit, and presenting. But it was not original. Here's Rashi, the original Rashi himself. Vali Nira, that maybe what this is, based on those the, the clue, Shuhu Min Esiv Chashuv. Aha. Basically what this is, is a type of grass. And when you plant it, Zaro, when its seeds or roots go into the ground, it, 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 it like its, its tentacles shoot into everything else you're growing. Mit arev ima perot. It goes into everything else that you're growing. Aha. And we're not really talking about an orchard, Rashi says. Ubisade lavan kamar. Now, this is another Talmudic phrase, not so common, but it's worthwhile to know. Sade lavan. Lavan is white, right? A, a white field. Again, it's a sort of, um, it's a sort of, uh, I don't want to call it primitive, but it's a way to describe the difference between two types of sadot. You have a sadeh that has trees, a field. A white field is a field that you have grain growing, not trees that rise up very high. You say amber waves of grain. It's lavan, though. It's more whitish. Trees are green and, and, and the fruit on it is very colorful. When you talk about grain, it's more whitish than anything else. That's not so colorful and it doesn't grow so high. So that was called a sade lavan. A sade lavan is a grain field. We're not talking about fruits veg- and vegetables. We're talking about grains that you would make into uh, breads. Umishtameret. By having this grass in there, what it does is it it protects the tvua minakinama vehatolayim. I assume kinama is some sort of parasite, uh, some sort of blight that could attach itself to the wheat or the corn. And tolayim, we know what that is. Those are worms or vermins. 
corn borers, bull weevils. Why? How does this grass help that? So Rashi becomes a, uh, a uh, uh, what is it called? A pesticide specialist. Reach otozera. There's a smell that's exuded by this grass seed. Mavrichon. Scares them away. They don't like it. There's a chemical, uh, a chemical that's um, exuded by this grass that causes the insects and the other vermin that that can that can destroy your crops to run away from. Vahorgon. It actually kills them if they stay around it. Okay. Now. Um, where did Rashi get such a principle from? So Rashi quotes a um, another piece of Talmud that mentions Amar in, in, in Shabbat in Masechta Shabbos in the second parak. We did it in Dafiomi a couple of weeks ago. That there's something called the Chomet. The, the Talmud speaks about that once you um, once you uh, garn once you gather in your grain, you you throw in a little bit of Chomet. A little bit of chomet into your into your processed grain will protect it. The Talmud says, the chomet. So we know such a thing exists. That once you've processed it, you throw chomet in, the grain will not rot at the same level. There's something about that 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 keeps that's a preservative. The chomet. So he says, "Kid Amr b'chomtim." When we talk about this preservative called chomet, shemishamer atfua. Key word, mishamer. Mishamer means not that it protects it from thieves. It protects it from the natural elements. The adar does the same thing even before you harvest it. While it's growing, the adar is a natural pesticide that will keep stuff out. Okay. It's not a big tree at all. It's actually something that's growing in the ground. Now, here, now, now that Rashi has said that, let's go back and view the, the lines of the Talmud. Let's read it again. If you've got your plants, you don't want them to be uh, attacked by these natural pests. Plant within the other grains, the Adar grass, the Adar uh, seed. Okay. And therefore, the Brayta, when it says, Why can't it be stolen? I guess here Rashi's going to have to admit, Rashi's going to have to borrow from his teachers and say, okay, it's not a big tree, but it's a grass that is so unusual and expensive to use that it uh, it connects it to the owner. So Rashi, basically what Rashi did was like this. I call this Frankenstein in many ways. You take an interpretation, like, of what's, of, uh, the, the Frankenstein's monster was uh, uh, a, a patchwork of a bunch of different bodies together. That's what Rashi did over here. What Rashi did was, Rashi uh, basically said that, yeah, it's, the, it's not this big giant tree that everybody knows about, but it is an unusual type of grass that is a great pesticide. Not everybody knows about it. And if the person uses it, it's going to be known as his field. But that also explains why it protects the crops as well inherently. So Rashi doesn't have, Rashi doesn't have the fanciness of the big oobleck tree. It's just really a grass you put in there. But it is significant enough 
that you are going to be able to make a case in court that it's your field because everyone knows, oh, he's the guy that got that special grass. The problem with that, okay, that's what Rashi has done to explain this piece of Talmud. Okay, now, I, I don't want to leave it here, although I could, but it really shows you the effort, and I'm rolling up my sleeves to show you. Boy, you have to roll up what type of effort Rashi put into three lines to make this work. I want to show you a, 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 a quicker interpretation that doesn't take all the sweat that Rashi put into it. And it's on the page itself. Check this out, my friends. Over here you have Rabbeinu Hananel. See that? Now, who was he? I'm not going to give you a whole uh, history of his, but he comes from a totally different school of learning than Rashi. He was older than Rashi. He lived 100 years approximately before Rashi did. People knew about him. He was actually in uh, one of the North African uh, Karawan, which I think is in um, Libya or Tripoli over there. Uh, and, 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 and he was one of the uh, leaders of Sephardi or North African Jewry, Rabbeinu Hananel. Um, his father was Hashuel. Both of them, according to legend, were uh, were on a were actually captured Bimedina Sayam by pirates and ransomed to Jewish communities. They were on their way wherever they came from originally. I'm not sure exactly, but they ended up. These incredible scholars ended up being put into the North African communities. And which was different than the Rhineland, different than Germany and France, where Rashi and Tosfos were. But remember, it's a global world. People heard about them. Hanano eventually became a very known commodity. And Rashi's grandson, Rabbeinu Tam, was extremely excited when Hanano's commentaries reached Germany and France. Because people had heard about them. Rashi did not know about them at all. So Hananel is like, uh, is like the Sephardi approach, okay? So in many times, in fact, Rashi's grandchildren appreciate Hananel more than Rashi. They will actually say, Ra- Kunteris is their name for Rashi because it was actually a, 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 a notebook that people used along with, their, uh, uh, tran- uh, along with their manuscript text. They would have two little books. One book would be the Talmud text, and then they would have this second book that was Rashi's book that helped them. That's why Rashi was called Kunteris, like we call that like a notebook. That was Rashi. Tosis will quote Kunteris, Rashi, or Rashi specifically. Then he'll say, Rabbeinu Hananel has a much easier interpretation. Here's an example where Hananel's interpretation is a lot less tortured and easier than Rashi, but you gotta uh, see it. So let's take a look quickly. Hananel. So you go down here, take a look. Remember how this whole thing started. The whole thing started was having faith in God and spending money on Yontif and believing God will pay you back. So let's start with that. Himinu, Hananel says, I will put bracha into your jobs, what you're going to do. And you'll be able to pay back. Excuse me, Rebbe, Rebbe. Yes. Where are you now? I'm on the side of the page. You see where the cursor is? Where I've got Hananel here on the side? Hold on. 
Okay. Yeah. So right on the bottom here. So first of all, Hanano, I just want to show you again. What was the last piece of Talmud that we said? It was all about belief in God. It was all about trusting God. It was all about the fact that God runs the world and is going to give you Parnosa. And somehow, if you show that you love him, he will make sure you make more money. Okay, remember, that was the last statement. Up until now, we said the reason why this whole piece of Talmud is here, because the same names are involved. Yochanan, Elizabeth, Shimon, and we decided that we wanted you to hear more stuff from them. Look what Hanano does, though. He quotes, Amr Rabbi Yochanan, and remember the Pasuk that was quoted? God's glorious straightness is up, up in Shamayim. Adir Bamarom, God's greatness is upstairs. That gave Hanano the clue. Because Hanano remembered another piece of Talmud. Where, and we'll talk about it in a second, where this was important. Upstairs affects downstairs. Clomar, what does it mean, plant? Clomar, not really planting. We're not talking about a tree. We're not talking about grass. Yasemehen tzedakah. Give tzedakah with what you have. You have, uh, remember, what's the case? I've got possessions. I've got a business. I'm a farmer. I'm, I, I've got an antique shop. I don't know what your business is. It's booming. You've got eBay. Whatever it is that you have. I've got a business and, and I have possessions and I have stuff. You want them to last. You want the, your business to be successful. What do you do? Plant in your business. How do you plant into your business? Take some of the funds of your business and give tzedakah with them. Yase mechen tzedakah. That's what it means, plant it. It's not literally the plant. But if you, are, if, you, if you keep to a schedule that whatever you make, you know you're going to give money to tzedakah every week from your paycheck, and it's going to go to very good tzedakahs, and there are plenty of them all over, especially now, that are needed. All the assignments and almanas and the people who died from COVID and, and, and all these other things that people need, whatever you want to say your tzedakah is, God considers that incredible. Adir bamarom. That if you planted the truth down here, and you do tzedakah, God looks down from Shemayim and says, I love what you're doing with your money. And in fact, Hananel, let me just put you guys over here. And he says, Umifurish there's, again, the same way Rashi, uh, let me tell you where Rashi and Hanano are the same here. They both used their Talmudic acumen and literary knowledge to explain the cryptic lines here. Rashi used a, uh, a, 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 a whole network of ideas to explain it. Hanano used one little section of the Talmud that speaks about Munvaz HaMelech. Munbaz was a, 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 a convert to Judaism, an extremely wealthy one, whose relatives were very upset that he had converted. Could be his mother converted, and then he converted. And he kept on 
donating money to the Beit Samikdash and to other funds of Judaism and other tzedakah. Munvaz HaMelech. And he was upbraided by his cousins and by his relatives. What are you giving all this money away? In fact, they said to him, the only reason you're wealthy is because of what your parents and grandparents left you. And now you're wasting that. You're squandering that. And it's going to go away and your kids will have zero. And he answered them. And he said, okay, what did my father and grandfather do? Like Scrooge McDuck, they had this huge vault where they kept all their funds and monies. And now I'm the owner of them. Okay, so what did they do? They, fun, they, they, they put money in a big vault here with, 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 that I'm supposed to you come in and use it. But I, I also made a, a Scrooge McDuck vault. But you know where mine is? Mine is up in Shemayim. What does that mean? The money I gave to the poor, don't think it's gone. That's up in Shemayim. If you lend, if you lend money, it's like God lent the money. <laughs> it's like it's like you almost lend money to God when you give tzedakah, and God says, "I'm going to make sure things are okay." So, in other words, this whole thing is not literal, but yes, literal. This whole piece of the Talmud is saying. It's very much a piece of the last one. The same way the one before was about Amuna and God, this is also about Amuna and God. The first one is about Amuna and God for the person who doesn't have any money. Borrow, don't worry, God will take care of you. The second one is about the more wealthy person, that he should give tzedakah. And if he does that, his nechassim are going to be taken care of. The same way Munbaz told his relatives. Rebbe, Rebbe. Yes. Excuse me. And this steams well with the Gruz explanation where where the guy uh, has to go and look for Tzedakah. It's the, it's the other way around. Right. In other we, words, here we're saying that you have to get Tzedakah and, and it'll be good. And the you have to believe, the other one, the poor person, has to believe in Hashem because he doesn't know where the stuck is coming from. That's right. And the rich person, Hanach, has to believe that giving tzedakah will protect him. It's going to protect him from the JLBs, protect him from the Donald Js, protect him from everybody else. We have to believe that when you give away money, that it actually, it, that's the way God is saying, I'm, I'm involved now. When you gave tzedakah, I'm involved, just like Munbaz answered his critics. And this way, it doesn't need to make literal sense. Hey, how does this help? It does help. Because God is now involved. And the Adar is another way of saying Sadaka. That's what Adar is. Yitam and Adar, put God in it. In other words, put God's investment in. That's what the Adar is. Yitam and plant there, you know what God wants. God wants you to give your money away. God knows you're only a shliach. God knows you're only uh, you're only the you're only the person who's possessing the funds now to give them over to others who are in need. Doesn't mean you have to uh, po- you don't have to go into poverty, 
But that's what it is. Yitabehen Adar. Of course, Rashi is, at least according to the way Rashi learns, we're talking about something that we can hold on to. Uh, a plant, a tree. But the thing that helps Hanano out is that it says here, this Pusik, Adir Bamarel Madonai. That is the, there's many things that show Hanano's interpretation is easier. The first one is, it's of a piece of the one before. Secondly, the quote of this Pusik. Third, the other is the fact that all, it's Einam, it's, it's, it's magic. So, to, and, and we find this other piece of Talmud that is, is similar to that. And that's the way Hanano uh, rolls up his, uh, his way of explaining it. Um, okay. The, uh... Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 